He left Ruth when she had just made it home from the threshing floor, where we learned that Boaz agreed to marry her. And that's what we wanted. Uh, Ruth and Boaz to get together, to marry, be happily, live happily ever after, redeem the land for Naomi, have a family. But there was a problem. There's another redeemer who legally has the right to redeem. So, according to the law, some other fellows out there that can can redeem. Boaz gives Ruth the bad news and he says, Well, you going home back to Naomi and wait, and I'm going to take care of it. And one way or the other, in the morning, this is all going to be over with. You'll know your fate. Either this man will redeem the land and marry you, and if he won't, I will. You're not going to have to worry about being poor, and you're not going to have to worry about being forsaken. One way or the other, it's going to be taken care of. I couldn't imagine Ruth uh, was uh, not concerned about this. I can't imagine she'll say, well, one way or the other, it'll all work out. I'm sure she was praying, hoping that, that Boaz would come back and marry her. That's who Ruth wanted. That's who Naomi wanted. That's what Boaz wanted. But there was this other guy out there, and, and what's going to happen? Well, that's what happens at the beginning of chapter number 4. It says, Men went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. He said to the kin- kinsman, Naomi, that has come again out of the country of Moab, and sell a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. If not, if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. And so Boaz puts that up, puts it out there. Now all the business in town in these days was done at the gate, gate of the city. So they didn't have a city hall, they had a gate. And so uh, the men of the city, the elders of the city, the judges, they'd wake up and they, they wouldn't go down to uh, go mart and drink coffee. They'd go down to the city gate and they'd sit. And people would have problems, they'd come to the city gates. And people have questions. That's where they'd come. And the elders would sit there and they'd make judgments. Um, and they would make, uh, you know, they'd lead the people from the city gates there. Well, Boaz knows all this, being a, a wealthy man and uh, a powerful man of the town. So he goes down to the city gates and he gets there early and he's going to wait for this redeemer. Such a one, as he's called Mr. So-and-so, um, as some people said that that Hebrew word means. We don't know the guy's name, but, but here he comes walking down the road and he sees him. He says, ho, ho, uh, such one, Mr. So-and-so, come here. We need to sit down and have a talk. Well, this guy doesn't know what's happening. So he goes over, he gets summoned over, and he sits down. And then Boaz gathers ten men, ten elders for witnesses. Well, this guy... He might be wondering what's happening. He might wonder, well, what did I do to Boaz? I didn't do anything to him. What's he calling me to the city for? What's he, what's he doing this for? He says, 
So um, the reason I called you over here and the reason we need to talk, um, I thought to advertise this to you. I need to talk to you about this because um, Naomi, and you remember her, you remember Naomi. She's the, she's the elderly woman that uh, left with Elimelech and, and she went down to Moab and had some problems. Now she's come back and, well, she's in a bad way. And her design is to get that land back and that property back that Elimelech sold uh, and lost whenever he moved to Moab, she wants to get that back so she can sell it and that, that way that she can live off the, the proceeds. So she wants to have it redeemed and then she's going to sell it again. So that, that's Naomi's plan and, and I just wanted to let you know because you by law are the redeemer. You're the next in line. So um, if you want it, take it it's there. If you want to buy it, go ahead. But if not, then I'm next in line, and it falls to me to do it. So whatever you want to do, just, uh, just let me know. So he kind of lays it out there for him. And then at the end of verse number four, he said, I'll redeem it. Oh, no. All, this, all these months, all this uh, back and forth and Naomi's uh, plans and Ruth's going to the threshing floor and, and all this leading up to, to the marriage is going to end in disaster. He goes, well, sure, I'll redeem it. <laughs> so we read this and it's up and down, up and down. All is lost, it would seem now. This man's going to redeem it. But if you think about it, why not? Why not? So let's think about the, the way of the the redemption. So the kinsman would buy the land, give it back to Naomi, then she would sell it. Well, who's the kinsman if she sells it? Well, this guy is. And so what happens when Naomi dies? Well, it goes right back to the kinsman. This is a no-lose situation for this guy because he can buy it back for Naomi. He can be the hero in town. But she's already somewhat older, and he thinks, well, when she dies, she doesn't have an heir. That means it comes back to me. That means I've got more land. Why not? There's no reason not to. Because even if Naomi doesn't, at the year of Jubilee, it comes back to her. She's going to get it back. And then if she dies, after that, then it's mine. I get the reputation. I get to help Naomi. I, I, and I'll eventually get to land. Sure, why not? So this unknown man is going to get the land. He's going to get the money. Why not? But you and I, we don't care about the land, do we? We don't care what happens to that land and his property. We, that doesn't matter to us. We figure either way, Boaz is going to take care of Ruth and Naomi. What we're concerned about with is Ruth. What's going to happen to her? What's going to happen to Naomi? Well, Boaz is a smart guy, and he he knew how to make deals, and uh, he knew how to lay this out, and so he laid it out in just a really nice way, um, because he didn't come in all desperate like and say, "Look, I'm head over heels in love with this girl, and I want to marry her, but I got to redeem this property." Then that guy said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" 
you know, and that's going to make him seem desperate, and that's going to make this guy say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to buy this land, and then you can buy it off for me for, you know, ten times the amount. Or he might just say, no, I think I'll marry Ruth. So Boaz is just kind of nonchalant. Well, here's some land. If you want to do it, go ahead. If you don't, then I guess I'll have to take care of it, but we probably ought to get this taken care of one way or another for Naomi. But then we get to verse number five. Then Boaz said, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it. Also Ruth of the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So um, I read it. I, I was thinking about this and thought of uh, Detective Columbo. Remember the TV show? A detective drove the old beat-up car in a rumpled overcoat, disheveled look. People thought uh, that he wasn't all that bright. Because he played coy with people. And, uh, and the murderers always thought they could outsmart him. And, and then he'd ask a question. They think they got away with it. He'd walk and he'd turn around and go, oh, and just one more thing. One more thing. And then he'd lay that trap on him. Well, uh, Boaz just one more thing this Redeemer. Because he said, you know, buy it if you want to. And he goes, okay, sure, I'll buy it. And he said, okay, but there is just one more thing I forgot to mention. There is this one more thing, and, and if you're going to buy it, you also have to take care of Ruth. Because Naomi doesn't have an heir, Ruth married into the family, and so, by extension, Ruth is the last hope for Elimelech's life. So not only do you have to buy the land, but you also have to marry Ruth, and you have to give her children. So Boaz just didn't come out and say that thing. He said, okay, Good, you want the land, so here's the rest of, here's the rest of the deal. He, he, he let him know, now that kinsman has to make a decision here. And the kinsman said, well, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance and redeem thou my right to thy inheritance, for I cannot redeem it. When it was just the land, that was one thing. But to redeem the land, now he's going to have to marry Ruth. And now they're going to have to have kids. And so this guy might already be married. And so now he's going to have two wives. Or if, if not, he's going to have to take care of Ruth and, and give her children. And now he's going to have to take care of that child. His children are going to have to split the inheritance and that's not even going to be his, his technically, his child. It's going to be Elimelech's child, because so that, that's the way that it worked. And we'll look at that in just a little bit. But, but you know, it's going to be his child by, by birth, but it's like he has to give it up for adoption to another family, and, and that's not his child anymore. But he's still going to have to provide for it. And he said, whoa, 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 this, this is, I can't do this. I'm just not able to. I can't afford to do this. I've got enough to take care of my own, and let alone take on a whole other family. I can't do it. He said, I'll tell you what, I, I give up my rights. I don't want to redeem this land. I, I decline. I refuse to. And so you can do it. You, re, you redeem it. And so he bypasses this, re, this opportunity for redemption. So Boaz was being a little wise here, wasn't he? He didn't lie to the guy, but he just 
he just uh, laid the truth out in a way that was going to benefit him just a little bit more. So he gave him a little bit of information. The guy said, well, sure, I'll take it. And he goes, okay, well, there's your responsibilities for it. And I, I don't think so. Well, Boaz sort of plays the coy businessman and, and gets, the, gets to be the redeemer. Verse number seven says, Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning the redeeming, concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off a shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. So now we're in the middle of the story and the narrator steps in and uh, the narrator gives us a little bit of information about what was about to happen. Because he says, now, this is going to seem weird, but this is the way people used to do things. Back in the old days, whenever people would uh, change, uh, redeem something about the change in the land, a man would take his shoe off and give it to his neighbor. And that was signing on the, the dotted line. So, for whatever reason, they started doing this. And there's all kinds of theories of why uh, they used to do this, but it doesn't really matter other than the fact that this is what they used to do. And this was a tradition. And it made perfect sense to the people there at the time. Now, I wouldn't want to go down to the courthouse and buy something and give somebody my shoe in order to sign the contract. I prefer just to sign on the dotted line, but but they might have thought that that would be strange for us to, to write on a piece of paper to confirm that. So the narrator just says, well, this is the way that they used to do things, and so this will explain why they did it. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee, so he drew off his shoe. But I think there is a point to all this, because in verse number 9 it says, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you're all witnesses this day, and I have bought all that was... Elimelech's and all that was Chilin's and Malon's in the hand of Naomi. I think this happens because we, we are shown this is all in the up and up. It was all straightforward, legally binding. That Boaz did the right thing. The uh, Redeemer said that he wasn't going to do it. He gave up his role to do that. The elders agreed with it. He took off the shoe. He, he signed the contract. Everybody that was there saw it was all on the level, all on the, the up and up. So that includes verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, I have purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. You are all witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thy house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and to do worthily in Ephrath, and to be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare into Judah, and the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So what's the point of all this? Why do we have half a chapter talking about the... The, the lawyer part, the contract, and the, the signing on the dotted line or the trading of the shoe, we might say. Why? Well, because it's clear. Everybody sees. It's all legal that once Boaz and Ruth get married and once they have children, this is going to be um, a child that continues on the line of Elimelech. 
that Ruth, the Moabitess, is not going to be a Moabitess. And the child that she has is not just going to be some random Moabite child, but Ruth is going to be an Israelite. And her child is going to be an Israelite. And this child is going to be the heir both of, of Boaz and Elimelech. That they are going to be, that this child is going to be uh, sure enough Israelite through and through. Uh, they are in the family. By law, they are in the family by this redemption. And, and uh, there's nothing shady about this child's inheritance. And so everybody agrees. Not only everybody agrees, everybody's happy about it. The people are excited that this has happened. And they were all there witnesses. And, and it was, uh, they said, we're all witnesses. We all agree. And this is wonderful news. This is a great, great day. And they start praying. The elders pray and said, the Lord make the woman that has come in thy house like Rachel and Leah. Remember Rachel and Leah, who um, Jacob loved Rachel, and her dad uh, tricked him into marrying the wrong woman. He worked seven years for Rachel, and his dad tricked him, and he woke up the day after his marriage and realized he'd married Leah by mistake, and then he worked another seven years and married Rachel, and they were jealous, and they were just having child after child to, to, to outdo the other, and, and Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter, and, and that foundation was the foundation of the whole nation of Israel. And so they, they pray that Ruth would end up being just like that, that she's not just going to have a child, but, but this family that was dead, Elimelech's line was over with. But now they're saying, we pray that, that this union will not only bring that family back, but for generations. Descendants will come from that line, and that family will be, they'll look back on that family and, and see Ruth as, as a matriarch of, of a great, great people. They said, we pray that we'll look back at Ruth and think of her like Rachel and Leah. And then we'll look at you and you'll be famous in all of Bethlehem. Well, you know, that'd be good to be famous in Bethlehem. But, you know, that, Bethlehem is a small town. That'd be like saying that we pray that you'd be famous in clay. Well, that, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But, you know, that's not worldwide recognition there. But they, they said, you know, you'll be remembered, Boaz, for what you've done. People in Bethlehem, people in Judah will remember your name for a long time for what you've done. So their, pray, their prayers is for just the blessing of this union. And then he says, let thy house be like the house of Pharez, who Tamar bare into Judah of the seed which the Lord give thee of this young woman. Now, Tamar had Perez through that incestuous relationship with her father-in-law, Judah. And Judah's line was about to die out. And he didn't do the right thing, and then she didn't do the right thing either. But in order to, to save her line, her, her family, and herself, um, she, tricked, uh, she tricked Judah into coming into her. And, and, but that continued on the line. So, so the line of Judah continues on, um, through Tamar, and they're, they're, they're making that same prayer. 
not that this is a, a bad situation for her to be in, but the fact that Tamar um, mothered the continuation of the line of Judah. And so that's what they're praying for, a blessing, fruitfulness. Not just children, but a long line. Verse number 12, we find, um, or no, rather, that um, it says that he came in um, verse number uh, 10 to not only get the land, but to purchase or redeem Ruth. Boaz was now the redeemer, the, the kinsman. And we had already seen that where that kinsman had a job to do. The closest relative had a job to do. Um, he redeemed the inheritance of the person. If the person lost his inheritance, well, the redeemer could go and buy it. So he's like the rich uncle. If you get in financial problems, can come and, and bail you out. So Ruth was in, or Naomi was in bad shape. She needed somebody to help her. Well, she had a relative, but he wasn't able to help her. Not only was he not able to help her, he wasn't willing to help her. He said, I just can't. You know, I can do a little bit, but I can't do a whole lot. I just, I don't have the ability to. Really don't want to go that far. And so, I can't, sorry. But Boaz comes and says, not only do I have the means to do this, but I have the desire to do it. I want to do this. So I will come. I'm your closest next relative. In fact, I'm your only relative. The first kinsman said, no, Boaz is it. He is the only one who could. He's the last hope. But the good thing about Boaz is not only, even though he was the last hope, he was willing to do it, and he was able to do it. But also, not just the land, but there was another responsibility, not connected to the... uh, kinsmen, but just to the family for the marrying of a widow. So let's look in Deuteronomy 25. Because this is kind of a strange thing for us too, to think about you know, this guy had to marry Ruth and give her a child you know, this is, this is about like the trading of the shoes as far as us is concerned because this is not really anything that we, we know about. But Deuteronomy 25, 5 I mean, know about in our culture. It says, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her to him to be wife, perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And that shall be that the firstborn which he beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead. May his name be not put out of Israel. And if a man not take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call unto him and speak unto him, and she stand to it and say, I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, and spit in his face. And shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, The house of him who hath his shoe loosed. So, 
Now this is a pretty, pretty serious situation here. And so in the eyes of the law, what would happen? You got two brothers. The one brother is married, doesn't have any kids, and he dies. His line is gone. His inheritance is gone. What the Lord gave his family is done away with. The Lord said legally, the brother can marry his wife, and the firstborn son takes the place of the brother. So that firstborn son is not really his son in the eyes of the law, but he takes the place of his dead brother. And that way, that line doesn't end. It doesn't go away. Now, the children after that, they're his children, but that first child belongs to that line. Well, again, this comes down to whether a guy will do it or not. Judah's son with Tamar, he wouldn't do this, even though this was um, after the fact. Judah's boy wouldn't do this for his, for his brother. That's one reason he was smitten, because he wouldn't do the part of the brother's to, to, to Tamar. Well, if he doesn't do it, the woman goes down in front of the town, spits in his face, and takes his shoe off, and then shames him. So I don't know if this has any connection to what Boaz did with the shoe or not, but, but if you didn't do that, it was shameful. Because you're in effect wiping out your brother's inheritance and what was belonged to him. Because what would happen most likely is the, the other brother would just keep the, get the land anyway. So this was the culture. This is what God had prescribed for the people of Israel because the land was very important that God gave it to them for inheritance. So what, this wasn't technically the job of the, the kinsman redeemer but Boaz has taken upon this responsibility. I will redeem the land, but I will also marry Ruth. And our firstborn son will be that of uh, Elimelech's line, to keep that line alive. Now that's a lot of responsibility for, for a man. So if you were... Um, if you were an elder in the, in the family, you had a lot of responsibility to take care of the family, take care of the poor people, to take care of the widows, to take care of the family lines. The, the families were very tight. There was no government assistance. You couldn't say, well, just go on down and get unemployment or go around down and get Social Security. No, this was a responsibility of the families to take care of one another, to take care of their inheritance. It is a shameful thing not to take care of your family. Well, Boaz... Is a, an honorable man. He comes to do the job. But more than just praising Boaz, this is a picture for us of what this kinsman was supposed to do. It is, is actually a picture of our Lord Jesus. He is our kinsman. He is our near kinsman. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 4, we'll look at a few New Testament texts. Here, so in Galatians 4, verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, 
to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We were lost and undone. We were under the bondage of sin. We needed someone to come and redeem us. We needed someone to come and save us, to rescue us. We had a debt to justice that we could not pay. You and I have sinned, and we owe a debt to justice that we just can't pay. We were enslaved to sin. We were under the, 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 the power of sin, walking in the ways of the devil, owing a debt to justice for all of our sins that we couldn't pay. We were in bad shape. We were too poor to pay our own way out. We were too lost to find our own way out. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves, to help ourselves, to get ourselves out of this. We needed someone to rescue us. But who was going to rescue us? We looked to our kinsmen. We looked to our, our moms and our dads and our cousins. And, and somebody help us. And they said, well, I can't help you. I, I'm a sinner too. Well, I can't help you. I'm a sinner as well. I'm in the same boat that you are. And we look around, well, who can help me? Who can save me? No one can. Because we are all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all debtors. And the wages of sin is death. Who can help us? We need a kinsman to help us. But all of our kin, they're, they're sin, sinners too. Well, Hebrews chapter 4, or Hebrews chapter 2 rather, in verse number 14, talking to the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, says, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and make reconciliation for the sins of his people. The angel could not redeem us because they're not our kin. Our families can't redeem us because they're sinners too. They, didn't have to, they couldn't pay the debt. But the Lord Jesus Christ was the Word made flesh. He took upon flesh that He might die for us. He became our kinsman. Real flesh and blood. A man. Real flesh and blood was made like unto us of the seed of Abraham. Our kinsman. That He could um, redeem us. So Christ came that He might purchase us and not only did he do that that he might purchase us but he was also willing to purchase us and able to purchase us he was able to do that job he was able to do that task in hebrews uh, 7 25 wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those priests offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. He was our kinsman. He was eligible to come and redeem us. He was able. He had the, He was able to redeem us. This unnamed redeemer was a kinsman, but he couldn't redeem. He wasn't able to. He couldn't pay the price. You know, if you're going bankrupt in your house, I can't help you out if I don't have any money. I might want to help you. I might want that more than anything else in the world to help you, but if I don't have any money either, then we're in a lot of trouble. This, this other kinsman, he wanted to help Naomi, but when it came down the roof, he said, well, I can't. I'm not able to. I'm eligible to. But I just can't. Christ could and was able to pay the price. His pure, spotless blood. He gave himself that we might have life. The price of our redemption was blood. But not just any blood, his blood. Like I said, the kinsman must be willing. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy that set before him, the glory of the Father, the, the, the glory of uh, his redemptive work. He was willing to do such. He was willing to pay the price. Jesus Christ, in the covenant of redemption, voluntarily came uh, to be our Redeemer, to give himself for us that we might have everlasting life, to rescue us from the guilt and the weight and the power of sin to set us free and to buy us and bring us into the family of God. Jesus could redeem us. He could pay the price. But he also wanted to pay it. And he did. The closer kinsman couldn't redeem. The cost was too great. The law couldn't redeem us. The law just tells us what should be done. Right? So... If we think back to the brother's wife, the law says this is what a brother ought to do. Well, sometimes that brother said, no, I don't want to. And, and at the risk of being humiliated and being told, uh, having your name changed to the guy without the shoe, right? To be shamed as a guy who wouldn't do his part. Sometimes brother said, no, I don't want to. And you can't make me. We were talking about this the other day on the way home and the, the, the boys were saying, I'm glad we don't live in those days. <laughs> like, who would redeem who, right? Well, the, the kinsman had to be willing to do it. But the law just said what, the law said this is what's supposed to happen, but the law couldn't make anybody do things. Lots of times the law would make people not want to do things. There's no grace in the law. There's no mercy in the law. There's no love in the law, really, um, in that aspect, because it shows you what you ought to do to love. But the law just says this is what you ought to do. 
That's what you must do. But that didn't make it happen. The law says we have to be perfect, but we can't be perfect. The law says we have to be righteous. We can't be righteous. But the law was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ that he kept the law for us on our behalf and, and, and he purchased us by his precious blood. So Boaz loved Ruth and Boaz purchased her. He redeemed her. And now Boaz has purchased his Gentile bride. And he, he has rescued her from poverty. He has rescued her from the, being Ruth the Moabitess. She's the Moabitess no more. He has, he has bought her. Now she's Ruth the Israelite. Ruth of the tribe of Judah. Where our Lord Jesus Christ came and because he loved his people, redeemed them. Not, not because he was forced to. Not because that's just something he had to do. But because he loved them. You know, the, the Holy Trinity has one will in their divine essence, the will, and this will is to, to that of uh, love towards uh, the elect. And Christ loves his elect. Paul said that, that the pastors are to love the church, to feed the church, which the Holy Ghost has made them overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. The pastor is to love the people that the Lord has, has put him as overseers or to love the church and to feed the church. Uh, that, that local assembly. Why? Because Jesus has died for them. Jesus loved them. He has purchased them. Church, the Lord Jesus loves you. He has redeemed you. He has purchased you with his own precious blood. So we look at Boaz and boy, did he love Ruth. Makes us think, boy, does what love Christ has bestowed upon us. And he saved us and redeemed us by his own precious blood, that we might have everlasting life. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, in verse 13. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, she bare a son. So the Lord blessed. Jehovah gave her a son. Anytime we have children that is of the Lord, that, that the Lord, I mean, we just think about the fact that a soul comes into existence, a child comes into existence. Their own individual, their own soul comes into existence through the power, um, through the, through the the natural means, but what, a, what an amazing act that is, what an amazing uh, thought that is, that, that new life, a new soul. This is a blessing of God. Children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of, his, of the womb is his reward. In these days, that's what children were considered a blessing of God, a heritage the fruit of the room is his reward. Well, Boaz's prayer was answered from back in chapter 2, in verse number 12, where he said, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Boaz's prayer was answered. Naomi's prayer was answered. 
She said, go back to Moab, Ruth, that you may find rest. Find a husband and back in Moab, go back to your mom's house. Well, then chapter 3, verse number 1, Naomi said, did I not say I was going to find you a husband? I'm going to find rest for you. Ruth's prayer was answered. Elimelech's line will carry on. The Lord blessed. Well, in verses 14, then the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. Well, that's, we think, well, that's the end of the story. No, what about Naomi? Well, Naomi's not left without a kinsman. And she shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and nourisher of thine own age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women and the neighbors gave it a name, saying, There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Maybe these are the same women who met Naomi when she came back. And she said, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I left full and I come back empty. Well, maybe now they come back and see the scene has shifted. They get married nine months later, they have a little baby. These women apparently bring the baby back to Naomi's house where she's living. And said, Naomi, look, your grandson. You said you came back empty. Look what the Lord has given you. They announced the birth. They said, the Lord has provided a child. The Lord has provided you a kinsman. Now, who's Naomi's closest kin? Well, it's not Boaz anymore. It's this little boy. This boy is now her kinsman. The Lord has provided her an heir, one who will protect her and provide for and care for her. And they prayed, well, Boaz is going to be famous in Judah. Well, so this boy's going to be more famous than his dad. He's going to carry on greater than his dad. He's the restorer of life. He brought back the life from the dead. Why? Because of the love of Ruth. Ruth dedicated herself to her mother's care. And what she did, she's better than seven sons, is because I believe what happened is she took this child and said, just like the law says, Naomi, this is your child. This child, legally, is going to be like your child. And you can... And, She's going to be like a nurse. She's going to help raise him. Not because Ruth didn't want to, but because this is going to be Naomi's son. Legally. She's going to train and tend for him and care for this boy. Because in her later years, this boy's going to take care of her. She came back empty. And the Lord didn't give her back her husband and didn't give her back her sons. But she did have blessing now and what the Lord did has provided for her, doesn't she? She finds joy in God's provision for the life that she has. Sometimes God will take things away from us and we can never get them back. We have two options. We can bemoan what God took away from us for the rest of our lives and be bitter like Naomi was, or we can be like Naomi and say, the Lord took that away, but look what he's given me instead. It's not, it's not my husband, but... but if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have this little boy. Little Obed, which means serving. So, it's not that we just forget or it takes the place, but we can say, look at the joy that God has given me now. 
We can learn to be grateful for what God has given us now, not bemoan what we wish that we had or wish we would have lost. Because what if she had remained bitter? If Naomi would have remained bitter, she would have never loved Obed. She would never look to him and enjoy that little baby. But she would have just been complaining and bitter the rest of her life. Well, that seems like the, the last ending, right? So the first ending was they get married, okay, that's over. No, 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 it, even more. There's more to the story. Naomi gets to raise the boy. Naomi has the heirs. He has somebody to take care of her. Now it's all over. Well, not quite. Verse 17. And the woman and her neighbors gave it a son, saying, There be a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed, which means serving. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now there's a, a, a big ending there. There's a, a shocking surprise. Now suddenly we see that this is a bigger picture than we thought it was. This isn't just a love story between two people, two random people in the middle of the desert. This isn't just a, a story about a man and a woman coming together and starting a family. This is a story of King David's grandpa. This is a story of how King David's line continued on. This is the story of, of, of the line of the king. This little baby is, not no, is no ordinary baby. This little baby is in the lineage of the king. And now we start to think about, no, wait a second. We see the Lord's work here. If there had been no famine, if Elimelech had not moved to Moab and died, if the boys had not died tragically, if Ruth had not come back with, with Naomi, if all these terrible tragedies hadn't happened, then you wouldn't have had the birth of little Obed, you wouldn't have had the birth of Jesse, and you wouldn't have had the birth of David. Looking at it from a far back, the author here tells us there was a point to all that pain. There was a point to all that suffering. It wasn't pointless. It wasn't God just stepping back and letting things go out of the way. There was a point to all of it. And lastly, I know that you know where we're going now, but it's in Matthew chapter 1. These same figures are, are listed there because the story was bigger than David. The first six verses of our New Testament have the same lineage that you find, or not exactly the same, but, but the same characters in verses 18 through 22. Tamar. Rahab, you find out. You know, remember Rahab, the harlot of Jericho? You find out in Matthew that was Boaz's mother. Ruth, the Moabitess. And then after that, you got Bathsheba and her affair with David. And you keep on reading, what do you find? Or it's actually the first verse. Whose genealogy is this? Well, it's that of the Lord Jesus Christ. This story is the family history of the Lord Jesus. The book of generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So back in David's day, they'd read the book of Ruth and some little girl said, oh, I can't believe that's what, what a story of how King David came into existence. Oh, but no, this is a, a bigger story, a better David. This is the story of the lineage of King Jesus. The line of Jesus of not perfect people, but sinners. Jesus was not born in the line of perfect people, but sinners. He was born of a virgin. 
Though he was not a sinner, but he came to save sinners. This is his people. This was Jesus' kin. That's who he came to save, a redeemer, a kinsman, who is willing to save, who is able to save, who has already paid the price, the lineage of the king. You might remember what Elimelech's name meant. My God is king. My God is king. This whole story was the history and the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings.